Please turn then to Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. How would you feel if you were called to the evening meal, sat down at the table, and found there was a total stranger there? You'd be a little surprised. You'd say, well, who are you? <laughs> what are you doing here? Uh, but in New Testament times, that, that wouldn't be that unusual, as we shall see. We have here a, a scene of a typical Middle Eastern hospitality, although some aspects of it are very atypical. We have three main characters we'll look at in a moment. Uh, obviously, there are other guests too. We see that in verse 49. Those who were at table began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Uh, were Jesus' disciples there? We really uh, do not know uh, that. But certainly quite a crowd to witness this drama that was about to unfold. Jesus has been invited to a Pharisee's house for a meal. Now, I know when we read this about a meal and uh, eating, we, we get the usual picture there, sitting around a 30-inch high table on 20-inch high chairs and sitting that way. But of course that wasn't true in uh, New Testament times. Uh, the table would be just a board. We still talk about bed and board, don't we? Just a, a board basically on the floor or at most a very low table. Uh, around it cushions or possibly very low couches on which people would lie. They would all lie on their left elbows uh, so around the table, uh, they'd be, you'd be looking at the head of the person next to you uh, because everyone leaned on the left elbow to leave the right hand free. If you were left-handed, that was just too bad. There was no possibility of uh, some facing the other way. That just didn't happen. Uh, your feet would be out from the table uh, away. So you can picture there the table there and people around it uh, almost parallel uh, around there, uh, reclining uh, at the meal. During the meal, an uninvited guest comes in. As I indicated, that's not unusual. Uh, a house like this, obviously, that could put on a banquet, uh, would be typically probably three sides around a courtyard, uh, which would be completely open to the public. Uh, and the main door there would also be open during the daytime. And if there was a banquet and everyone would know there was a banquet, Strangers could come in, uh, the poor could come in, and it was understood uh, that they could pick up any of the, the leftovers uh, from the meal. So the fact that this woman comes in is not really uh, unusual. So the table is set uh, in more ways uh, than one for this uh, event that's going to happen. Let's consider first the three main characters, uh, this woman. Uh, she heard that Jesus was there. Everyone would know that. In a, a village or a small town, everyone would know what was going on. If there was a banquet at uh, Levi's house, whatever it might be, then uh, everyone would know what was uh, going on. And she came prepared to honor the Lord and to show him love by uh, washing and anointing uh, his feet with perfume, expensive perfume. Now notice she's described as a sinner by the Pharisee in verse 39, but even by Luke 
in verse 37, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Now Luke, as well as we, knew that all people are sinners. So when the word is used in this way, as it was in Luke 15, you remember the occasion of the three parables there, Jesus received sinners and ate with them. Tax collectors and sinners gathered uh, around him. Uh, The word sinner is used in the sense of notorious sinners, people whose lives were known by everyone uh, to be ungodly, uh, disreputable. Uh, Almost certainly this woman was a prostitute. She was a a wicked woman, a sinful woman, uh, but she comes in to see the Lord Jesus Christ and shows great love toward him. Clearly a change had taken place. We're not given any details of the actual change, how it came about, that she had previous encounters with Jesus. Uh, We can't be sure. Had she heard him preach? I suppose it's very likely uh, because she knew who he was and uh, came to show her love to him. So I think we must assume uh, that she'd heard him preach and perhaps uh, through that preaching had come to a true knowledge of the Lord. She'd been uh, converted. She'd been born again by uh, the grace uh, of God. So in Jesus' presence, uh, she was overcome with grief and tears. It seems she probably didn't come intending to wash his feet with tears, but in his presence was just overcome uh, and uh, shed many uh, tears. Uh, why did she cry? Uh, we always have reasons to cry, don't we? Well, I think we must assume that she was uh, full of grief over her, her sins. Jesus hadn't said anything to her about her sins, but the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ could bring about that awareness. Just go back a couple of pages uh, to uh, Luke 5 and verse 8. You remember uh, Peter and his uh, brothers, friends, had been uh, fishing all night. They had caught nothing, and the Lord told them to put the boat, the net on the other side of the uh, boat, and they had an enormous catch of fish. Uh, and notice in verse six, when, or verse eight, uh, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, "Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." Now that's amazing, isn't it? Just a big catch of fish uh, made Peter realize his sinfulness. He'd already had some contact with the Lord, of course, uh, but he was aware of his sinfulness. And the presence of the Lord brings out that awareness of sin. Uh, The holiness of the Lord uh, brings an awareness of our uh, our guilt. Uh, And that is an important point here. uh, Because if we have any concept of the holiness of God, it should make us very aware of our sin. And that's an important principle in evangelism. Uh, when we're dealing with people that have had no contact with the gospel, and we've, more and more people we meet have had no contact. There was a, go back 50 years, most people have been to Sunday school at some time. They had some knowledge of the elements of the gospel. Today, most people we meet have no idea what's in the Bible, what the gospel uh, is about. Uh, so it's not usually very wise to begin to try and witness, well, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, you're a sinner. They might well say, well, what is a sinner? Uh, 
you've fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, what is the glory of God? What does it mean to fall short? Uh, so it's important to realize that sin is measured by God's law. Uh, sin, sin is lawlessness. It's a transgression of the law, as John tells us in his epistle. If you remember, we've been going through some books, and the very first book I think we did in our reviews was Packer's Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. And Packer brings out the four elements of the gospel, and he doesn't begin with sin, he begins with God. Because unless people know who God is, what he is like, what he requires of us, we'll have no sense of sin. So that's where we need to begin uh, there. Maybe with creation, the greatness of God, the glory of God, but to uh, bring before people uh, what God requires of man and how uh, short we fall uh, of that. So Jesus' presence uh, made this woman very conscious of her sin, even though it probably she'd already confessed it. Uh, but this woman certainly saw her sin. She wept. Uh, and she showed love to Jesus. Perhaps they were also at the same time tears of joy. Uh, she was just overwhelmed in the presence of her Lord and Saviour. She showed that love. She wasn't ashamed to show it. She wets his feet with her hair. Remember, uh, her feet are away from the table. There's no way she could have anointed his head. Uh, so she has to deal with his uh, feet. Uh, and she dries his feet with her hair. Now that was a no-no. Uh, a woman was forbidden to let down her hair in public. In fact, for a woman to let down her hair in public in, in, in the case of anyone but her husband was grounds for divorce. Uh, so it was an awful thing uh, in the eyes of most people for a woman to let down her hair and obviously had long hair enough to dry the feet uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it shows her uh, humility, her devotion to the Lord, her gratitude to Jesus for that sense of uh, salvation and forgiveness that she already had. I wonder if we have that same humility in the presence of the Lord. Do we have that love and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ as we remember what he's done for us, the rich blessings that are ours that come to us through uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's the woman. Second character is this Pharisee. We're not given his name initially, but uh, Jesus later addresses him as Simon. And you might think it was very nice of this man to invite Jesus in uh, for a meal. Uh, but I think there's enough in the account to cast serious doubt on that. Go down to verse 44 as he explains this uh, parable he's given. He says, do you see this woman? You notice he uh, turns to the woman and he says to Simon. So he's looking at the woman, but he's speaking to Simon. He said, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. It was common courtesy to wash the feet of guests. 
usually be a servant to do that. And in a house like this, obviously able to give a banquet, he must have had servants uh, who would normally uh, wash the feet of those uh, coming in. I don't know what the arrangement was, how Jesus alone got missed out from the others, but clearly uh, that happened. Uh, So Jesus' feet were not washed. Uh, He didn't receive a kiss. That was again a a normal uh, token of uh, courtesy there. Uh, If it was an equal, you would kiss them on the cheeks, each cheek. Uh, If uh, you considered someone uh, more... um, which we say higher in the uh, social uh, ladder, uh, you would kiss their hand. Uh, This man did nothing. There was no kiss, no greeting at all. Uh, And often it was common to anoint with oil, just a few spots of oil on the hair, uh, on the the head. Uh, That didn't happen uh, either. Now that was an open snob. Uh, It was a, a... really a very obvious uh, treatment uh, there uh, to uh, to dishonor uh, the Lord. Um, He knew what was the usual thing. Uh, It was just an open, obvious, common snob to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Jesus is telling him that. Uh, He makes that very public to the, the, the group all... Uh, who were there. So there was no courtesy. Hard to say an equivalent today, but if you had a guest, uh, you opened the door, you didn't greet him, you didn't shake a hand, you didn't offer to take the coat and hang it up, just sort of ignored him. Uh, Maybe just a a, a token of that, but this was a far worse uh, insult uh, to Jesus, uh, not to wash his feet, not to give a kiss, uh, not to anoint uh, his hair. So clearly uh, the Pharisee uh, had no respect or love uh, for the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. It was an open insult. So you might wonder, well, why did he invite the Lord? Why this invitation? Well, I think we see it elsewhere in the Gospels. Sometimes he was invited because they wanted to catch him out. They hoped that in the discussions, what was said, they might find something they could jump on, uh, something to criticize him by. And in this case, of course, he's going to watch. How is he going to treat this woman uh, there that uh, comes in? He's going to let her touch him? Uh, So uh, clearly, the invitation was not through due to any respect to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when this woman comes in, Simon watches very closely And he draws a conclusion, as we see in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, that is the woman washing his feet, anointing them with ointment, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So if he was a prophet, he would have known what kind of woman she was. If he knew what kind of woman she was, he wouldn't allow himself uh, to be touched by her. And the fact that he does allow her to touch him indicates he wasn't a prophet. So that was his uh, reason, his uh, argument there. And it's good that his critical spirit doesn't hinder the grace of God. Christians can be very critical of unbelievers, can't they? Uh, We've known cases where 
people have shown some interest in the gospel and the Christians have been very critical. Remember we had a, a couple in, uh, in Bowmanville coming in quite regularly. Uh, they were living common law and uh, I knew that. And one or two others found out and they began to criticize and tell them they shouldn't be living uh, in that way and of course it put them off. They never came back. Uh, the, uh, we need to realize uh, that God saves sinners then he cleans up their lives. He justifies the ungodly. It's true. Sinners must repent and turn to the Lord, but that work of sanctification begins from then. So we mustn't expect Christian behavior from unbelievers. Uh, we should be willing to put up with all kinds of behavior of people that come in, and all kinds of dress uh, behavior, as long as they're not causing a real ruckus uh, in the meetings. Uh, realizing it takes the grace of God to change people. Uh, you expect a dog to bark, don't you? Barks, that's his nature. You expect a rooster to crow, that's his nature. And uh, you expect a sinner to sinner, that's their nature, uh, until the grace of God brings about that uh, transformation. So uh, let's make sure we're not like that Pharisee. Uh, let's be willing to accept all kinds in and uh, show them love, show them kindness. And uh, pray that they'll come to a true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third character, of course, is the Lord himself. It was gracious of him to accept the invitation. He probably knew what kind of treatment he would get, what the attitude would be uh, toward him. Uh, but he came, gave him the opportunity to demonstrate grace by word and by action, and he surely does that. He allows the woman to touch him. The Pharisee couldn't see beyond the ceremonial uh, because the Pharisee's idea was if uh, someone that was ceremonially clean had some contact with those who were ceremonially unclean, they themselves would be made unclean. Uh, what that would mean is that there would be a certain period of time before they could, for example, go to the temple or be engaged in uh, religious uh, activities uh, so they didn't want to get themselves polluted. We saw the same thing in the parable of the uh, Good Samaritan. Uh, the priest and the Levites uh, uh, went around this man because they feared if he were dead uh, they would pollute themselves and make themselves ceremonially unclean or if they were uh, a Gentile they would uh, do the same thing. So that was a big thing with the, the Pharisees there. So the Pharisee couldn't see beyond the ceremonial. Uh, and the Pharisee concluded that as Jesus uh, allowed this woman to touch him, uh, he made himself ceremonially unclean. And of course, Jesus was more concerned with grace than ritual. He let sinners touch him. He let sinners come to him. Indeed, he invited sinners Come to him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. There was an invitation to sinners uh, to come uh, to him. He called them. He didn't call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so we would not be surprised the way the Lord uh, treats this woman and allows her uh, to touch him and show her love uh, to him. True, he calls them to repentance, but still he calls them. For coming to Christ, there is but one qualification. Not to be righteous, not to be religious, but to be a sinner. 
realize your sin, your need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And probably among our children here tonight, there are some. You know you really haven't committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe there are some you're aware of. My life is not what it should be. Uh, I know I'm often disobedient to my parents. I've got a sinful heart. Well, you can come to Jesus. Uh, he'll receive you. He'll make you a child of God. He'll do that transforming work of grace in your lives. So never feel unworthy to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He invites sinners to come to himself. Don't let your guilt hinder you. He will accept you as you are if you come with a repentant heart. And then Jesus points out the fruit of forgiveness. Jesus can read the Pharisee's heart. He knows uh, exactly what he's thinking. Uh, to this point, there's been no words exchanged between Jesus and the Pharisees, certainly none uh, recorded, but he, he knows what he's uh, thinking. He's well aware of his uh, attitude. And so he tells them his parable about these two debtors in verse uh, 41. Uh, the moneylender had two debtors. One owed him about 500 denarii. Uh, that was about 20 months' wages for a, a laboring man. Uh, the other 50 denarii, well, that was about two months' wages uh, for a, uh, a laborer. So they were both significant debts, but both written off. Just forgive them freely. Uh, they said, don't have to worry, your debt's taken care of. And then Jesus asked him, well, who's going to love him most? And the Pharisee says, well, I guess the one that had the larger debt uh, forgiven. Seems a very reasonable thing. And then Jesus applies it to the Pharisee and the woman. But the focus is on the woman. He's uh, talking to the Pharisee, but his uh, whole attention is on this uh, woman uh, there. Uh, her many sins are forgiven. Her immoral acts, her defiling of her own body, uh, her defiling of other people's bodies. Uh, she, of course, would be a social outcast. There's probably a lot of hatred in her heart for society uh, in general. She'd be, a, as I say, an outcast. But now she's forgiven. Her sins are cleansed and, and she feels it. And that's why she pours out her love and gratitude to Jesus. In the Pharisee's case, now we mustn't press the parable. Jesus isn't saying that he had less sins to be forgiven, so he doesn't love quite as much. Clearly, he doesn't love at all. Uh, there's no love shown to Jesus because there was no sense of his own sin. Oh, he saw the sin of the woman. Uh, he saw the sin of Jesus too, as he thought, allowing this woman to touch him, but he had no sense of his own uh, sin. He was self-righteous. But the woman sensed her sins and knew that she was forgiven. Uh, what a wonderful thing, isn't it? To have a sense of forgiveness. To know that our sins are blotted out, forgiven. So many illustrations, especially the Old Testament, cast into the depths of the sea, hidden behind God's back, removed as far as the east is, uh, from the worst. How wonderful is forgiveness? Uh, do you have that assurance your sins are forgiven? 
God remembers him no more. It doesn't mean he's got a poor memory. Uh, he deliberately chooses not to remember them. Uh, he puts them out of his mind. Uh, he doesn't hold them against us. How wonderful to be forgiven. Uh, obviously, this woman had uh, a sense of her sin, but also a sense of forgiveness. And that's why she showed that love to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we might ask, uh, do we show our love and gratitude to the Lord? If there's no greater blessing than forgiveness, to know that our sins are washed away, that we're in a right relationship with God, how grateful of people ought we to be continually giving thanks to God for that rich blessing that our sins are not held against us we ought to be filled with uh, love devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ how easily we lose sight of grace don't we we take it for granted oh yeah we're forgiven we're Christians but just think of the cost of that redemption Think what it cost the Lord Jesus to purchase our salvation and how wonderful it is to know that we are forgiven. No condemnation against us. Thirdly, Jesus assures the woman of her salvation in verse 48. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, there's one very important point here, uh, she wasn't forgiven because she washed and anointed Jesus' feet. That would be salvation by works, wouldn't it? Uh, she washed Jesus' feet, she anointed them, she showed her love because she knew she was forgiven. The forgiveness came first, the love came later. And that's so important to see. It's not a teaching here that uh, her washing his feet earned salvation. She anointed his feet because she loved him by having mercy upon her. There is nothing we can do to earn God's favour. We're saved by grace, by no other means. And when some criticise Jesus for claiming to forgive sins, you see that, who is this who even forgives sins? And we see that a number of times in the uh, Gospels. Uh, you get a second statement. Uh, your faith has saved you. She did believe. Uh, she had believed that Jesus was the Messiah. She believed he was a saviour. Uh, I think she must have heard uh, his preaching. Sometimes she must have had some contact uh, with the Lord. Uh, but she had faith. She trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that brought about her salvation. And that's the only way anyone is saved, isn't it? Saved by grace through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, verse 8. She was not saved by washing Jesus' feet. She was saved by Jesus washing her sins away. And so it is for all of us. Again, I ask, do you know that you are saved? Boys and girls, do you know that you are saved, you have that assurance of the forgiveness of sins. Now you may ask, can we be sure? I say yes, we can. 
There are just a few that Jesus assured of salvation. Uh, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. Thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And this woman, I think there might be one other case when Jesus assured of forgiveness. Now we must be careful in giving assurance to people. Uh, We don't know their hearts. Jesus, of course, did uh, know their hearts. Uh, I don't believe we can say to someone, you are saved, you're a child of God, you're on the way to heaven. What we can say to them, if you truly repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. If your confidence is in the work of the Lord, yes, you'll be forgiven. If we confess with sincerity, we can know cleansing from our sins. If we genuinely call on the name of the Lord, we're children of God. But assurance is something God gives. Uh, often you f- see a real sense of joy and assurance when a person's first converted and when they realize that they're not perfect and they, they sin, they can sometimes lose that assurance and assurance can build up uh, from there. Uh, but you can be sure and we should seek Assurance. Uh, John writes his epistle, these things I write that you may know your children of God. Uh, we can know by God's grace. And so again I say, lay hold of Christ. Turn from sin. Trust in the finished work and follow him. You'll be saved. And we'll know God's peace in our hearts. Notice the last Word to the woman, he says to the woman, go in peace. Go in peace. How wonderful that is. Now, you think about this woman, she's got a tough road ahead. If that's been her lifestyle, we don't know for how long, how many years, uh, she's still, if she's going to live in the same community, you can just imagine what everyone thinks of her, uh, what they thought of her before, of as a sinner, an evil woman. Uh, she's not moving among a group of believers, is she? Uh, These are Jews, often self-righteous, critical Jews, and she's got to face that. She's going to have a tough road ahead. But one thing she will know, she's got peace in her heart. And hopefully in time, over years, if she lived a godly life and uh, could live down the former uh, reputation, things might become a little uh, easier uh, for her. Uh, but it was important for her at this time to know she was right with God, to know she had peace with God. I've asked a good many people over the years, uh, do you have peace? Uh, Hardly anyone other than believers has been able to say, yes, I have peace. Most people, if they're honest, they say, no, I don't have peace. No sense of peace as a unrest within. They know things are not right. Things are not as they should be. They look at the world situation. They look at their own situation and rarely is there a sense of peace. But that's one of the wonderful things about salvation is we have peace with God. That's a state relationship. There's no hostility between us and God. But we have a sense of peace. We have that sense that God is not angry with us anymore. Uh, he's propitiated, that is, his anger has been turned aside. Uh, he looks upon us with love, with kindness and blessings, and we experience those uh, every 
day. Uh, so, I close with one more question. Do you have peace with God? Do you know that you are in a right relationship with your maker, with your God, with the Lord Jesus Christ? You can if you come to him and trust in him and his finished work. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can know peace with God. What a wonderful thing that is. Before we could only know your hostility and we were hostile toward you. But Father, by your grace you have transformed us. You brought that sense of peace, that awareness that uh, we're not under condemnation, but also that awareness too that uh, we have that loving relationship with God as our heavenly Father. and We thank you for the peace we can know. We pray we'd show it. We trust we'd uh, show it even in times of difficulty. Perhaps trials come upon us. We would show that sense of peace that these things do not bother us because our trust is in you and we know that whatever situations come upon us is only by your sovereign will. So we thank you again, Father, for this uh, beautiful passage, the grace of the Lord in dealing with this woman, allowing her to come, and uh, also the salvation that must have taken place in her heart. Oh, Father, what a, a wonderful example, and we pray we would have that compassion toward others, and uh, we pray even tonight if there are those here who are uh, not your children, who are still strangers to your grace, Father, lay hold upon them, we pray. Draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would know forgiveness of sins, know salvation, and experience that peace in their hearts. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.